0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: From Podcast One.
2: Previously on Colors. The Florida legislature has been in the news lately because of a number of controversial laws and bills. And a black state senator, Chevron Jones, has taken up the fight that he says will benefit all Floridians of every race. Some of the things that uh, that are important to me, that are that are moving through the Florida legislature, that are not good for Floridians, are things like. The Don't Say Gay Bill or the actual title of it being the parental rights bill uh, or legislation uh, dealing with the 15-week abortion ban with Florida trying to uh, follow after Mississippi and Texas and some of these other states uh, or the banning of uh, the the teaching of uh, Black history. Coming up in this episode of Colors. In 2018, the Justice Department unveiled the China
0: Initiative. In all of department effort, to look at espionage and trade secret theft by China.
2: But John Yang, president of Asian Americans Advancing Justice, says something different happened.
0: What we saw was a lot of prosecutions, not for espionage or trade secrets, but simple, simple failure to disclose issues. And unfortunately... We saw had a lot of Chinese American and Asian American professors generally caught up in the system where what would have been routine matters became criminalized.
2: We told you about this several weeks back. Now it turns out the Justice Department has decided to end the China Initiative. We'll hear exactly why.
1: That's coming up in this episode of Colors
2: Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming.
0: Don't it.
2: Brutality. Exposed. I can't
0: breathe. I can't breathe.
2: The search for solutions starts here.
1: From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
3: Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys.
2: My name is Adam Carter. I am white, and I am from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. My name is Gretchen Soren. I'm African American, and I live in Springfield Center, New York.
4: My name is Jesslyn. I'm a multiracial woman raised primarily by white people. I live in Oakland, California.
2: And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black, and this is Colors. Almost two months ago, we told you about a controversial program at the Department of Justice called the China Initiative. They were accused of unfairly targeting Asians as espionage threats. Gisela Perez-Kusakawa, a staff attorney at Asian Americans Advancing Justice, joined us. And she said it was exhausting to be an Asian in the US, where they have, for decades, been unfairly labeled as national security threats.
3: We're really at a juncture here where Asian Americans in the immigrant community are facing this onslaught of xenophobia and racism. They face it out on the streets. They face it clearly here within their places of employment. And they face it from the American government itself. And so we really need a reflection uh, as a country Um, And we need to end what I believe many within our community believe to be this cyclical pattern of Asian Americans and immigrants being scapegoated as national security threats. And it is absolutely exhausting for our community to constantly be seen as perpetual foreigners, for us to be subjected to assumptions that we are disloyal to the United States, and for us to not be treated like other Americans due simply to our race, ethnicity, or national origin.
2: Well, since that time, things have changed. The Justice Department is scrapping that program. And joining us on this episode of Colors is John Yang. He's president of Asian Americans Advancing Justice, and he has all the details about what took place. John, recently there was uh, a development, the Justice Department uh, essentially changed its approach with its China initiative. And I spoke with your colleague uh, not long ago about this uh, before, um, you know, they made this decision, Uh, but um, they made a turnaround. And I'm wondering, first of all, what your reaction to it is. Um, Explain, first of all, what it is and and what, what this turnaround is.
0: Sure. The China initiative was an initiative from then Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, announcing that they they, the Department of Justice was initiating essentially an all of department effort to look at espionage and trade secret theft by China. Now, what happened, though, was what we saw was a lot of prosecutions, not for espionage or trade secrets, but simple, simple failure to disclose issues such as failure to disclose employment by a Chinese university or failure to disclose compensation for research done with a Chinese think tank. And so we had a lot of Chinese American and Asian American professors generally caught up in the system where what would have been routine matters became criminalized.
2: Now, what did, was there ever any reason that your organization found, was there ever any validity in this approach? I mean, you know, they tried to justify it, but did your organization ever see this as legitimate?
0: We did not see this as legitimate. Now, look, let's be clear that the Chinese government does present a national security threat, and they are guilty of many types of human rights abuses, democracy abuses. But what this initiative did was essentially criminalize a lot of behavior that could have been cleaned up, but should not belong in the criminal justice space and certainly should not belong in this national security space. And when we looked at the types of cases that were being brought, they were not cases about as trade secrets or national security, but rather they were more what we would call garden variety types of issues involving a failure to disclose a research grant or something along those lines. Now, again, we should be clear, Those things should be addressed. We're not saying that the failure to disclose is something that we should just pass over. But typically, universities would address that in their own administrative process. It does not become a criminal offense and certainly not a felony offense as the Department of Justice was trying to prosecute.
2: So did you get the sense that this was something else? Racism, discrimination, overt attempts to engage in that kind of behavior?
0: Well, certainly our community felt that there was racism, there was bias that wasn't. And frankly, at a minimum, there was just a lack of understanding. You know, oftentimes we heard about cases where the only what seemed to be the start of the investigation related to a simple family tie that that professor that that a doctor had with China and that they did not do anything that would relate to the Chinese government proper. Uh, And so certainly when we looked at some of these cases, also based on what we saw with respect to the investigators conduct, uh, there was not something that seemed to be completely transparent about why they were bringing these cases. So in that sense, I think our community's fears about bias, about racism were certainly justified.
2: So I imagine your organization is elated with this news,
0: correct? We're happy. We think it is a step in the right direction. Uh, to be clear, there's still more work to be done because just getting rid of the China Initiative label it isn't enough. Now we need to see how it's implemented. We need to make sure that current cases that are in the system are reviewed to see if they really do belong in the system. We need to make sure that professors and academics are educated about what the proper standards are because there's a lot of confusion right now about what needs to be, be disclosed and what shouldn't be. And we need to provide oversight to make sure that this doesn't become criminalized in the future.
2: So what is it that they have, to your knowledge, decided to do with this initiative, the Justice Department, uh, or at least the objective behind the initiative?
0: Yeah, so what they want to make clear was that they did not believe this country-specific approach was right. And, and we certainly agree with them on that. This notion that we should be focusing on China for espionage and trade secret theft does not make national security sense, right? And, and so what they are doing is switching uh the rubric which they use in looking at, you know, what really does impact national security, what impacts espionage and trade secret theft. You know, they talked about transnational repression, other factors that they should be dealing when they're dealing with really state-sponsored uh national security threats. And that's coming from the government itself and not trying to get too much into the weeds. So that's one turn that they made that we think is very positive. We also think that it's positive that they acknowledge uh, the harm that they did to the Asian American community, that the threat that we felt, the oppression that we felt, the racism that we felt was legitimate. And they also recognize that not all Chinese American scientists and professors are spies that the vast majority of them are contributing to American science, contributing to the American economy. They want to be in the United States. Frankly, they're fleeing from prosecution and persecution from the Chinese government. So to acknowledge that in, in the speech that Assistant Attorney General Olson gave, we also thought was a positive development.
2: Now, what have you heard from China on this? And what do you think the message is that they're getting from this?
0: Well, that's an interesting question because I do try to follow Chinese media and frankly, they were using this China initiative to their advantage. They're basically trying to suggest, well, look, America claims to be this democracy that is racism free. And look, they are they are being racist towards Asian-Americans and Chinese-Americans. So I, that's another reason ending this China initiative makes a lot of sense. It takes away a weapon that that the Chinese government was trying to use in suggesting that somehow their government is just as good as our government when it comes to racial equity, when it comes to non-discrimination. We well, know that's not the case, but that's what they were trying to portray.
2: Yeah, well, they can forget that because we know that there is a population there called the Uyghurs that would beg to differ and a bunch of other folks as well. So they can just forget about that. Um, so um, what else now? What's next for you on this?
0: Yeah. And so, like I said, there's a few things, right? First is just follow up is making sure that they are trying, they are reviewing these cases that are already in the system to see if they belong in the system, sure We have guidance in terms of what disclosures are appropriate and giving scientists and academics a chance to what we would call, you know, make sure that update their forms so that they come into compliance and not have those updates become used as a weapon against them. I think one of the things that they have been doing and we would certainly encourage them to do is continue to talk to the community you know, and, and to make sure that they understand what the community is feeling. Because I think that was lost during the last few years prior to this administration as well, is they viewed our community with skepticism. And frankly, you know, what we always see happens within the Asian American community, they viewed our community as a foreign community even though we were Americans. This Department of Justice is taking a different approach. They do recognize that the Asian American community is part of the fabric of America and they're trying to work with us in a different way.
2: Well, that's absolutely necessary and uh, something that is absolutely correct as well. Can you tell us a little more about what um, Asian Americans Advancing Justice is all about and what your key objectives and principles and mission is?
0: Sure, oh, we're a civil rights organization. So our mission is to advance the civil and human rights of Asian-Americans and to promote a fair and equitable society for all. So the China Initiative is a good example of that where we saw discrimination bias that was harming the Asian-American communities. So, We wanted to address that. Certainly one of our central areas where we're doing work now is voting rights, which affects all of us, but affects Asian-Americans as well. Because oftentimes, again, we're not seen as citizens So we're seen as people that should not be allowed to vote. So that's why we think that John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act is so important to be passed. You know, that's why we're involved in immigration reform to make sure that the people here in the country have that pathway to citizen when they want to be part of this country. So those are some of the types of issues that we work on and and to make sure that we're also in solidarity on some of these crucial racial justice issues, Mm -hmm. you know, what relate to education or the like.
2: What about the issue regarding the attacks that have taken place on Asian Americans across the nation uh, in the last couple of years? I mean, this has been something that didn't just start a couple of years ago. But I know on this very program, we've spoken to uh, a number of prominent Asian Americans uh, who have seen this. Uh, Michelle Lee, The Washington Post, Ellen Nakashima, Washington Post as well, and uh, Emerald Walker, CNN, who herself faced a very uh, disgusting um, public um, verbal uh, attack in an airport, I mean, of all places. But I'm just wondering what your views and uh, plans and objectives are in terms of addressing that whole idea of attacks on Asians in this country.
0: Well, so to us, that is just a symptom of the same problem that infected the China initiative which is viewing Asian Americans as foreigners. We sometimes call it the perpetual foreigner syndrome. This notion that no longer, how long we've been in the country, we don't belong here. What we do is bring disease with us. What we do is bring our our baggage with us. Uh, And and so part of how we have to address anti-Asian hate is to make sure that people see us as Americans and to see us in that different light. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, we should recognize that we're in this moment that we have this racial reckoning. And certainly the Asian American community is part of it. African American community is part of it. The Latino American community is part of it. And there's this big effort to you know make us look as others, and further to try to divide us against each other. And so we need to have these conversations about how there has to be unity. And that's obviously not just the unity among communities of color, but just how much we benefit as a society, from working together, I know that's in some ways sounds you know you know very high and mighty, but I do think that there's something very practical to this, right? You know, we've seen this in the pandemic is that like we need each other in ways that we probably didn't think about before. Now, the pandemic also causes us to isolate, but we need to take this opportunity to connect. Connect in that different way.
2: Yeah. Well, my mom says that uh, the pandemic was a moment for all of us to pause and reflect. Um, you know, to kind of shut down the the day-to-day hustle and bustle and, and think about the things that matter. And I think you make an excellent point about the solidarity that's necessary uh, across racial lines and, and across gender lines and across all other lines that essentially are often in this country barriers to things that they shouldn't be barriers to. And, uh, you know, as I think about As I think about moving forward on this, because we on this program have been at it since a couple of weeks after George Floyd died. Um, One of the things that I've noticed over time, John, is something that people have called ally fatigue. A lot of people who are on board with everything you're talking about, everything that Colors is about and everything that every racial and social justice organization is about you know, fixing these problems, correcting these wrongs. A lot of people who are not victims or don't have these issues who are allies have grown tired. Many of them have actually reversed course. Uh, I believed from the beginning that there would be people who would try to wait this out so they could go back to their regular behavior. And and I say regular in air quotes because that's what many of these folks are used to. But some people were pushed because of the popular uh, I guess, movements um, that address these issues. So, what do you do about that ally fatigue? Uh, how do you address that?
0: I guess we just break it down a little bit into something that's easier to accomplish. Because sometimes I know when we talk about allyship, there's this vastness that feels overwhelming and, and unbreakable. And so, when I talk about allyship, you know, what it means to me is that if I had, I'm standing next to an African-American friend and some white person, I'll be direct and uh, ask that African-American friend, why does black, why can't you say all lives matter for me as an ally to say, here's why black lives matter, you know, because they've never mattered in the past because too (laughs) less is said about the black experience. It shouldn't be the responsibility of my black American friend to justify himself or herself all the time. On the flip side, if someone comes up to me and says, where are you from? And I say, Chicago. And then that person says, where are you really from? Huh. For African-American friends to say, he is from Chicago. Come on. You know, yeah, that's that Midwestern accent that you're hearing from him. That's what allyship sounds like to me. And then that's easy, right? Then just that step by step incrementalism. So we we presents that fatigue, yeah.
2: So we've got us we've got some education to do when it comes to what an ally is and and what might be the most useful way to pursue and utilize allyship. Is that what I hear you say? It,
0: that's exactly right. That's exactly right.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, this is a great conversation we're having, and, um, you know, you've given me a little bit more hope about that whole ally process because I have seen some breakdown It's quite, to me, kind of distressing um, because I've seen some, some loss and some, you know, basically momentum uh, slowing down. But I believe your point about making it manageable is something that we can maybe have a, a broader conversation about on another occasion, but... Um, what is it that you believe that each and every person in America, whether you are an American citizen or not, can do to facilitate a more productive, safe, secure, hopeful and um, good life for people here in this country?
0: Yeah, that, that, that's that's a great question. Uh, part of it is just let's start by seeing the humanity in each of us. Right. Stop seeing each of us as other or someone to be feared, especially as we are getting to a place. And I say this with obviously some caution where we could stop using masks and the like, and we could see each other's faces, see each other's smiles. Let's use that opportunity. Uh, because I think too often now we're in this space that, that we come to each other as strangers and we have our guard up. We feel like we need to have our guard up and let's find a way to break that down.
2: Yeah. That's a really good point. Just find little ways to make progress. All right. So what haven't I asked you about that you think is important today as we address the main issue, the China initiative and everything that your organization is about and where we're going?
0: I don't know if there's anything else that I, I, I would say you haven't asked. I mean, I think this is part of a journey, uh, whether it's a China initiative or some of these other issues that we're talking about. And what we saw from the Department of Justice was a step forward. Uh, but there are still many steps to be taken and certainly our organization. And we look for our allies to help us in making that progress.
2: So I should ask this question, though. Uh, have you heard anything from the Justice Department, uh, either before this, they did they made this decision or since then?
0: Well, certainly in the run up to the decision, uh, we were fortunate that we were in discussions with them to lay out our concerns about the China initiative, why the framing was wrong and the concerns our community were expressing. Uh, our hope is uh, since this announcement, you know, we'll continue to engage in that dialogue so that we could talk about some of these follow-up steps that we've been talking about here today.
2: So I, what I hear you saying is that you haven't heard anything from them since then, but have you reached out to them since then in any way?
0: Uh, we are in the process of doing that because I I think uh, that announcement came out, I think two and a half, three weeks ago, want to give a little bit of breathing room, but, but we look forward to working with them. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, John Yang, um, I think the one thing I'd like to do before I go here today um, is to get you to tell me a little bit about your story and how you ended up running this organization. Is this something that you had always dreamed about? Is this some idea that you had from a young man or from a, I mean, at what point did you realize that you wanted to do this?
0: Wonderful question. I mean, I, sometimes I call myself an active accidental civil rights activist. (laughs) Why I say that is I'm a lawyer by training. I did spend time at law firms for many years in house counsel for many years uh, worked in the Obama administration, but working on trade issues, not civil rights issues. Uh, at the same time, my volunteer work has always been in the Asian American community, always in communities of color. So I feel that is certainly where I want to spend my time and try to make a difference. Why I took this job, I'll be very direct, was because of President Trump. Uh, in 2016, when he announced his run for president, uh, one of the things that he said was, one of the things he led with was that he wanted to get rid of the legal aliens in this country that were gangsters, rapists, and drains on our society. Those were almost exactly his words. And so I am an immigrant and not only that I was at one point an undocumented immigrant. And so when he was saying that I felt like he was talking to me and I did not believe I am a gangster or a rapist or a drain on society. And I want to do something different to show what immigrants do in this country and to protect the rights of all of those people that he was, quote, quote, unquote, kind of going to come after.
2: Well, you've done a wonderful job. I can say that for sure. Just looking at the work that you've done and certainly the the fact that this mission that you've been on, as far as the China Initiative is concerned, it resonated. And you and Gisela Perez, Kuzakawa, and all of your colleagues. And, you know, she gave us a great breakdown uh, on this some weeks ago. The work that you've all done, congratulations. And I hope that uh, you'll have a lot more success with your with your work.
0: Thank you very much. And look forward to talking to you all in the future as well.
2: Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're
1: listening to Colors.
4: My name is Paine Hiraldo. I identify as a Black Latina. I am from New York City, born and raised but i live in vermont critical race theory is just a framework it's a framework that we use to understand more of of the narratives that we're missing it's a theory used to analyze to implement various initiatives when it comes to uh, inclusion and diversity and um You know, it opens, it provides an opportunity to open up the conversation and name and own pretty much the history of the United States in terms of its inception. It's holding true to what has happened in the past and thinking about, okay, how do we move forward? This is
1: Colors, a dialogue on race in America.
2: If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at Colors at TheColorsPodcast.com. That's Colors at TheColorsPodcast.com. My name is Adam Carter. I am white, and I am from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. My name is Gretchen Soren. I'm African-American, and I live in Springfield
4: Center, New York. My name is Jesslyn. I'm a multiracial woman raised primarily by white people. I live in Oakland, California.
2: And I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors.
1: Coming up in our next episode of Colors.
2: A rising star in the new generation of Asian-American journalists.
3: My name
1: is Amy Cho. I am a general assignment reporter at NBC4 here in Washington, D.C.
2: Smart, energetic and real.
1: I grew up in Fairfax County and went to Langley High School, so it has been such a pleasure and an honor getting to report in my hometown. I am super passionate about meeting people in the community and raising awareness about issues that matter. These days, of course, as many of us know, unfortunately, anti-Asian hate continues to be a huge issue around the country. I have been extremely dedicated to making sure Asian-American voices are heard, and I strive every single day to tell important stories in a fair way and help make a difference in the community. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors.
2: It's time to go again. And as we do, we want to say thank you. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Chikaitis, Ron Pemberton, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler, Peggy Byard, Micheline Bowman, Anna Smith, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Ernie Green, Angelie Chong, Julie Fahm, the Pawnee community, and all Ukrainian-Americans and all Ukrainians everywhere. Stay strong and keep the faith. And for the music, thanks to Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic, thanks to Off Shane, and most of all, thank you to you for listening. And just remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other.
1: You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast DC, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors. A dialogue on race in America.